0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Yes, Jesus. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 37 to 39 today. So we're speaking on the Holy Spirit. We've been there for a few weeks. I I don't know about you. I hope that you've just been encouraged and have uh, come to a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit and uh, a greater love for him. I know I certainly have. Uh, The last few weeks, especially, we've been looking at different symbols of the Holy Spirit that really helps us to understand his nature, his person, the way that he works. Uh, we've spoken about oil. We looked at wine. We looked at the seal last week, and this week is the last one we'll do in terms of symbols. I want to look at the Holy Spirit being revealed as water, as water. We 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 sang a lot this morning of of the living water that the Holy Spirit is, and uh, the title of this message is "Revived by the Spirit." Revived by the Spirit. Now, if you were to look through the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, you will see that the Holy Spirit is often referenced and and symbolized as water. And there's usually two primary ways that you'll see it. One is in rain, the other one is in rivers. And in both cases, they really speak to the same thing, that when there's rain or there's rivers, it's a sense of refreshing, revival, renewing, restoring where there's rivers of life there is an abundance of life that takes place there's usually a picture of fruit and trees abounding by that river of life it speaks deeply into satisfaction and in all these ways the holy spirit operates in that way he's a reviver he's a renewer he's a restorer he's a refresher he brings life where there's death And what the Lord was really placing in my heart that we're going to look in this scripture, when I talk about revived by the Spirit, is that in all of those ways, God wants to do that in our life, first and foremost. First and foremost, he wants to revive us. He wants to restore us. He wants to renew us. He wants to bring life into us, into those desert places. But then, the most incredible thing is, then he wants to lead us to be a life source in this world. That's what blows my mind is not only does he want to renew us and refresh us, but then he wants us to be a blessing into a thirsty world. All of us have been given this calling, this invitation to drink and then to be a life source unto others. Listen, I've seen this in the scriptures. When you look in the Old Testament, oftentimes judgment and uh, the effects of sin will be demonstrated or pictured in in, in barrenness, in desert land. And it's, it's the rain, it's the water that comes to revive. And I was really studying Ezekiel 36. I'd encourage you to write that down and read that. I really feel there was strong uh, God's presence when I was reading that, Ezekiel 36. I felt so many connections to our community and to this body. In fact, interestingly, in that, God is speaking through Ezekiel uh, to the Israelites who have just been just broken through sin. They were in captivity in Babylon, and, uh, and their land was laid just to waste. It was just desolate, devastated. And Ezekiel is told to begin to prophesy to the mountains of the Lord, begin to prophesy to the land. He says, so that it will begin to bear fruit. He says, for I'm calling Israel home. <laughs> and the Lord began to speak personal words into us for this body. But it said that this was a land that amongst the other people, they had, a, they had a gossip was spoken about them. They had a reputation now of being a broken people in a broken place. And it says people would pass by. They wouldn't even stop in. They'd pass by and see the ruins. But God said, I'm going to begin to uh, breathe life on this place. But what he showed me is the order. Because before he said he was going to rebuild the cities, right, before God ever revives an economy or rebuilds infrastructure, he first revives individual hearts. He first, he first comes and revives the heart. And I, I want to just share that with you. That I believe where, where God is leading us, especially today, is God wants to revive our individual hearts. He wants us to drink and have our own Thirst be quenched by the living water. And when we allow that, we actually will become conduits of blessing in a thirsty world. We, listen, we as a body, we cannot lead people corporately where we have not been privately. If we want to be a blessing in this community and say there's life coming, we ourselves must be satisfied in God. We ourselves must be drinking of him. We must have rivers of living water flowing in this body before we will see it take place in this community. It's, it's changed people that change cities. Do you know that? <laughs> so God wants to get a hold of us and revive us, and that's what we're going to look at. So John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. This is Jesus' words. He says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now let me just stop there for a moment. Is you can easily read through this and you miss what's actually taking place here. This was on the last day of one of the major festivals. It was known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And there was a few primary purposes to doing this, but one of them was it was a, it was a remembrance of God's provision and protection when they were in the wilderness. When the Israelites traveled in the wilderness, they, would, uh, they set up these booths. They were made from different things, trees and whatnot, and that's what they lived in. So when they celebrated the Feast of Booths, they would, actually re- they would actually set up these booths again on top of the roofs of their home or maybe in the city streets. And it was a way for seven days they'd live in them to remember how God had been with them in the wilderness. But one of the things that they would do especially is by the high priest. The high priest would go out to the pool by the temple. And the priests they would take a, basically a golden vessel, uh, like a golden pitcher, and they would take water from the pool. And then they would come inside by this long procession. There would be music playing, and there would be, they would be singing Psalms 113, the 118, and they'd be blowing the trumpets, and as they would come in, the priests would take that water and pour it out on the altar, and it was a remembrance of how God supernaturally provided water from the rock with Moses. So here you have them, they're pouring this out. It also was actually supposed to be a picture of how when the Messiah would come, there would be an outpouring of the Spirit. So if you can picture this scene, on the last day, the priest would circle seven times and pour out this water. And as they're finishing pouring out this water, remembering God's provision of water in the past, looking forward to the outpouring through the Messiah, on that day, Jesus stands up, he says, in the midst of all these people, and he begins to cry out, and he says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink they would have known that Jesus was making a prophetic declaration that I have come to fulfill everything that you guys are celebrating right now. He says this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed him were to receive. At Pentecost would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, it doesn't mean that the Spirit was inactive and never before was involved. It's actually a profound statement because we know that the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament and in the life of Jesus. It's actually saying in comparison to what is about to come, it's as if the Holy Spirit had never been given yet. What is about to be poured out onto these men and women in the upper room, it's like the Holy Spirit had never been active. But I want to share two things with you guys that's really really important as we speak about being revived by the spirit the first thing is is Jesus shows us something before he makes us into a conduit where rivers of living water can flow through he first says you must come to me and drink the first thing is he has to satisfy and quench your thirst and once that happens once you are satisfied in him once you are drinking of him you become a blessing unto others So I want to speak into these two things. And the first is is really a, a mark of personal revival, which is he wants to quench your thirst. He wants to satisfy your thirst. What Jesus is saying in this is essentially that all of us are seeking some measure of fulfillment and satisfaction. We're all seeking some type of contentment in our life. What he's teaching us is that man is an endless succession of cravings. He wants things, fulfillments, gratifications, stimulations. All of us, our heart is like a hosed vacuum going after thing, after thing, after thing, trying to fulfill this longing in our heart. And Jesus is saying that longing is met in me. I am what you are looking for. In Psalm 143, 6, David, David testifies this in such a beautiful way. David says, I thirst for you. Like a parched land. In other words, what David is testifying he says, My soul is like a weary parched land. It is in need of rain, or it is dead and desolate, dry, barren. It cannot go on. He says, I'm in need of water, not just any water, but the Holy Spirit, living water. And then he says this in Psalm 63:1. David says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Listen to this: In a dry and parched land where there is no water. So first David says, my heart is like a parts land, and then he says, but I live in a parts land, and there's no water here. David is testifying to the fact that he says, I have this incredible thirst, a longing for security, significance, to know my maker. And he says, and nothing in this world can sustain that or provide it. I live in a land where there's no water. You see, most of us, if we were to ask, where will you find satisfaction, will typically point somewhere to the outside. If I just have this, if I just have this relationship, this career, this thing, then I'll have it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. He says, I'm going to put something inside of you that it will never be based off of outward circumstances again. You'll have something so rich. You'll have the source itself. You'll have the river maker himself living inside of you. You'll never have to go looking for it again somewhere else. You'll never have to give yourself away to that person again because you're in so desperate need of being loved. Jesus said, I'm going to put something inside of you. This is what he said to the Samaritan woman. You guys know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus came to this woman. He went out of his way. It says, you know, the scriptures say that he had to go through Samaria. But really, he didn't have to go through. In fact, many Jews avoided Samaria as he was traveling from Judea to Galilee. Samaria was in the middle. But he had to go through because he finds satisfaction in satisfying us. It brings him pleasure to satisfy you. His heart was to find this woman that no one cared about. We don't even have her name. She's a Samaritan woman. But to Jesus, she meant everything. And he sat by the well as she was fetching water and used that as an actual picture to point her to himself. He said, I'm the true well. I offer true water. And what he told her, he says, you keep drinking from this well, he says, you'll keep thirsting. He says, but if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. And do you know that when this woman began to experience this truth, and she began to have the longing in her heart satisfied, she was released into her town as as a witness as to Jesus. It tells me that the greatest witnesses are those that are most satisfied in God. Those that have come to a place to recognize that he is the one that that can quench the thirst. Listen, when you are thirsty, (laughs) you can probably attest to this, when you are thirsty... You cannot think about anything else. See, we don't realize this. We disguise it in our culture today, especially our culture, and we, 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 we misidentify it. I was told growing up, which there's a measure of truth, that I was a very driven individual. I wasn't driven. I was empty. And I called it drive, but really it's I had a thirst, and I went from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, trying to quench it some of us think we have drive but really is we're so incredibly thirsty and we're not identifying it properly and so we go from one thing to the next and Jesus is saying come to me the true well you will never thirst again when you drink of me so I just pray Lord just break open those lies right now open that whole thing that I'm just really driven and just want to be successful no you're deeply empty there's a place for going after things don't get me wrong but what I find is most of the time it's, is we're lacking something inside. When you are thirsty, that's all you can think about. Jesus, see, Jesus wants to set us free to walk in our God-given destiny. I can't walk in my God-given destiny when I'm thirsting because the only thing I can do is live for the thirst. I am bound by the moment. Everywhere I go, I'm trying to fill this void inside. I remember when I uh, played football. It may look different for you. We had 2 days Man, when I, when, there was a time where I couldn't even think about what the coach was talking about. It was August, wearing a gear, I felt like I was suffocating. I just said, man, I, I don't care, I'm going to run over, I need a drink. I couldn't think about the bigger picture. All I had was I need to fill a, and, and satisfy this thirst in the moment. And what happens is we can't actually live in what God has for us. Let me give you an example. Jacob and Esau, how many know Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Esau... They were twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, and they were born they were twins, but uh, Esau was born first, which is a huge deal, because that means that he had access to the, to the birthright, to the blessing, especially in this culture. And what happened was is one day as they grew up, Esau was out hunting all day, and it says he came back extremely hungry. And Jacob had a bowl of stew. and, and he said, "Let me get a bowl of that." And Jacob essentially said, "Give me your birthright." Give me a birthright and I'll give you this. And he made that exchange. And I feel the Lord was speaking to me that many of us, this is what happens. Esau had a specific destiny over his life. But because of that hunger in that moment, it's a picture of when we are bound by the hunger, by that longing, we can't walk in what God has. Do you know the scriptures how God identifies himself? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was supposed to be Esau. Esau forfeited that because he was so hungry in the moment that he gave it away because that's all he could live for. Listen to me, the the Spirit has to reveal this in your own life, what this looks like. But we, we don't realize that really what's driving us in our life is we're just thirsting and we can't live for the bigger picture. We can't be life givers because everywhere we go, we're trying to still fill this thing inside. Jesus wants to satisfy to lead you into your actual calling, the reason why he's created you. Look at John 6, 27. I don't know if we put it on the screen or not, but this is what Jesus said, another picture of this. Just, just stay with me here before we pray. John 6, 27, Jesus is talking about, again, this idea of hung- satisfying our needs. And he uses a picture of hungering and thirsting. It's really the same idea. And he says this. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures into eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus makes this statement, essentially says, here's his thesis. He says, if you look for anything else to satisfy you, at some point it will disappoint you. Maybe not right away, because food doesn't always spoil right away, but over time, that thing will spoil, and you will come to find out it was never enough for you. So he says, so come to me. I want to just share a few things, a few quotes that I heard from men that weren't even Christians and things that they testified to. Some very well-known people, maybe you've heard their name, maybe not. One is by the name of Wallace Stevens, who's a really well-known American poet. Not a Christian. He says this. Uh, This just so struck me. He says, in contentment, I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss. In other words, he said, even when I'm experiencing a moment of satisfaction, I'm aware that it's fleeting, And as I'm enjoying this, I really can't because I'm already looking for the next thing as it just evades my grasp again. This man by the name of Henrik Ibsen, he was a Norwegian playwright. Again, not a follower of Christ. This was his uh, statement. He says, when you take away the life lie, the life lie, I'll explain that in a second. When you take away the life lie of anyone, they lose all of their happiness. And he came to this conclusion that all of us have a life lie, which is essentially that one thing that you have convinced yourself, if you, can have, you, if you can have it, you will have security, you will have significance, you will have everything you've ever wanted. He said, eventually, life will expose your life lie, and it will crush you. This was a man who doesn't even know Christ, but he understood the insufficiency of this world to satisfy our thirst. How many like Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey said this. He said, I wish everyone would get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know it's not the answer. It's a man who had everything. He said, I wish everyone could experience this so they would know it is never enough. And one of, one of, my, most, one of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, brilliant. He wrote Mere Christianity, one of my favorite books, I'm going to put this on the screen because it's a little bit longer. I want you to hear this, what he said. It's from, I think it's the eighth chapter in Mere Christianity. He says this. Is it on here? Oh, perfect. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, want intensely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Listen to this. He says, I am not speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. He's saying, I'm not talking about when a marriage falls apart or your job doesn't go well. Listen to this. He says, I'm speaking of the best possible ones. When everything is going well in your life, you got the thing you wanted He says, there was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. (laughs) He calls it the it. We cannot get it from these created things. He goes on to share this. I'll just read this last part. This was his conclusion regarding the it. He says, a baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. He says, a duckling wants to swim. Well, then there's such a thing as water. And he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was not made for this world. I was made for another world. (laughs) If none of my earthly pleasures can satisfy it, That does not prove that the universe I live in is a fraud. It just means that the earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to bring me to the real thing. Living water and Christ. (laughs) Some of us have experienced so much disappointment. Some of us has experienced so much disappointment, you have actually begun to suppress this feeling. I think Pastor Chris was talking about it. We actually believe it's not possible, so we close off. The problem with that is... You can't live like that because there's real needs there. So Jesus is calling us to the well to drink this morning, to see that there's nothing in this earth that can give us what he can offer. You know, I was going to wait till later, but let me share this. I want you to just see Jesus in this. Do you know that when Jesus was on the cross, do you know one of the things that Jesus said, one of his statements? He said, I... Thirst. I thirst. Now that's interesting because I have no doubt that there was a measure of physical thirst that Jesus was experiencing. There's scriptures in the Old Testament that speak to this moment. Crucifixion was known as something that would dehydrate you. I'm sure there was a real physical thirst there. But almost every time in the Bible when it speaks about thirst, like we just read, it's something always deeply spiritual. And while Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, I thirst. And what I believe, one of the things that we're learning in that is that the one who knew the Father in perfect intimacy, for the first time ever, allowed himself to experience what we experience by being separated from the Father, taking on what we deserve, feeling the thirst that we feel, so that we would never have to experience that thirst again. As he cried out, I thirst, he had you in mind, knowing it was the only way to be your substitution so that your thirst could be satisfied in him. And now today, Jesus had all this in mind. The Father prophesied over the living water that would come. He had this moment in mind. He had you in mind. I could say, why didn't this person come with this person? But it's because God wants this group right here. <laughs> because he's after you and he wants to know the invitation is If anyone. If anyone comes to me, the only thing you have to do, the gift is free. It's you must recognize your need. And you must say, I thirst. And Jesus promises that he will fulfill you. And that may be someone who's been walking with the Lord for a long time. But you find yourself just your heart is dry. You've given yourself over to other things. Man, so guilty right now of allowing myself to be consumed with TV and all this other stuff. And I feel the dryness in my heart so often. The answer is simple. Jesus says, just turn to me. (laughs) Turn to me and begin to drink. And rivers of living water begin to flow through you. But I share all that because I want you to know that Jesus has come first to satisfy every heart. He's first come to quench your thirst by the Holy Spirit. And the last part is this, is that when he does that, though, the scriptures say, not only will you be satisfied, but your life will become a blessing, an outflow of living water for others. Look what he says in verse 38. Let's read that one more time, if you could put it up. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me. And then he says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow out of your heart. What is he saying? Whoever believes, whoever continues to drink, whoever continues to yield his life, whoever continues to surrender to him, whoever continues to take heed to his voice and obey him, he says, I'm not just going to quench that initial thirst. I am literally going to pour out such a blessing in your life of the Holy Spirit that literally the thirsty world is going to come around you, not you, but Christ in you, the living waters, and actually drink from what I've placed inside of you. I cannot think of any greater privilege than for God to say you are going to be a conduit of life and revival and refreshing. This is what I was trying to say before. God wants to revive this area, but it's going to happen through us being revived first. Through our lives encountering living water and being so on fire for him that, man, we just start everywhere we go. People just, they can't help but to be touched by it. And so he says believes, which is present tense. It means to continually, continually put our trust in him. And then he says, whoever does that, out of his heart, out of his innermost being, some translations say out of his belly, means out of the deepest part of a man, rivers of living water will flow. Rivers. (laughs) It speaks to abundance, this copious flow of life. Jesus didn't just say we will do the same works. He said we will do greater works. He did not just say those who abide will bear fruit. They will bear much fruit. This is a call into the abundant life that Christ has made available to us. Why would we ever want to stop short and living in that? Jesus didn't say if you believe in me and continue to that you'll have a pond or a lake. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because ponds and lakes are stagnant. (laughs) Rivers flow. What he's placed in you, he wants to flow out of you. I am convinced, as I'm learning more about ministry, that essentially ministry is to release his presence. That's it. It's to release him. It's not about force. It's about flow. It's not us trying to figure out man-made things to touch someone. It's to be so alive in him that where we go, rivers are just flowing. Johnny was just telling me of, of another church where people are just walking in the door and the presence of God is so strong that they're being set free the moment they walk in. No one has to lay hands on them. But that will happen when we as a body individually and corporately begin to have every desire of our heart satisfied in him. We begin to drink. We begin to surrender in a deeper measure and we say, Lord, here I am. There's going to be a natural flow of life that will come from here. I want to just read this. In verse 38, it says, the scriptures have said, there's so many scriptures that, that testify to this, to this truth that God has always destined for us to be life givers, not in our own strength, but by the spirit in us. And I'll just share one, Isaiah 58:11. Jesus wasn't referencing one specific scripture, but probably a number. Isaiah 58:11 says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. So in this dry land, he'll satisfy you. And then he says, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Once he satisfies you, then you actually become an oasis in a desert. <laughs> you do. God has destiny over your life for you to be a life giver in that way. Isaiah 32, 2, listen to this. He says, each of you will be like a shelter. Each of you will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm. Like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Again, that was spoken over the restoration of the people of God, the role that they would have. You will be like streams of water in the desert. Do you understand the only thing that, that can revive a part's land is rain, is river? That's the only thing that's going to revive this place is life flow. It's the Spirit of God touching lives. And God is not just pouring out randomly. That can happen. But I believe primarily he does it through us. We are his channels for that. And the last scripture I'll share with you, I'll just just speak through it, that I think testifies to this truth of being life givers, is found in Ezekiel 47. A few months ago we talked on it briefly. Ezekiel 47 is this beautiful prophetic picture of which Ezekiel was with an angel of the Lord. And they came to a temple, which I believe speaks to us as being a temple of God. That's what the scriptures say in the New Testament. And it says, the angel of the Lord showed Ezekiel that there was water trickling out of this temple. And as the angel of the Lord took Ezekiel, they went on this journey where they went lower and lower and lower and lower. And as they were walking, every thousand, uh, one, I think it was a thousand cubits, which is about 500 yards, they'd stop and mark it off and the water was getting deeper and deeper, and deeper. It was ankle deep, then it was knee deep, and then finally, it says Ezekiel is brought to the bank of a river, a gushing, flowing river, and Ezekiel cries out and says, I cannot cross through this. It's too rough, the current's too strong, and it's too deep, and I believe this is a picture of, it teaches us so much about where God wants to take us, individually and corporately, God wants to bring us to a place where we are going deeper with Him. You see, the call to go deeper with the Lord, to, to lose ourselves in the river of God is a call that comes deeper. It's it's continual surrender. Continual surrender. He wants to take us lower and lower and lower. And as we go lower, we get ourselves more and more submerged in the spirit. Where the rivers of God were flowing in that vision, it says life was abounding. The rivers were actually flowing into the Dead Sea, which was known to be a place that could not hold life. But because this river of life was touching it, it was producing radical life. There was fish in this river. There was trees along the bank. See, God is calling us to be a river of life. Where when even we flow into the most dead places in your family, in this community, that life begins to abound. But to get to that place, we must let the Lord take us deeper and lower in surrender and yielding. And then there's a point where we actually say, I can't go in because if I do, what will happen? I will lose complete control over my life. And the Lord says, That's exactly right. (laughs) Then you will be completely dependent upon the current of the river. When we tell children to go in the ocean, what do we usually say if we're not biased? It says, Don't go too deep. right stay in the shallow end why because it's safer you're in control there stay in the ankle deep water because that's where you can you have better balance there listen to me i like to do ministry in ankle deep water (laughs) i do i sense the lord just he's always just pulling me and and pray for me in that because it's it's hard to really it's hard to just say lord i don't i don't control this anymore it's you god control every sunday everything we do It's a scary place, but the Lord's saying, deeper, deeper, deeper. Do you know where the hardest place is when you're in the water? It's halfway. You know when you're coming out of the water? That's always the hardest part. Listen, that's the same. Some of us, we want some of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We want to let him lead us, and then there's a part where, no, I want control. That's the hardest part to be in the water is when you're trying to come out or stay in that middle ground. And God is just saying, man, yield your life to me. You want to see fruit in your life? Just keep surrendering. Every time he says this, surrender, surrender. I don't understand. Surrender. Let him take you lower. And then he's going to produce the fruit and the life through that. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631 693 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.